Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and it's episode 300. I finally made it to 300 episodes of this podcast. I don't know if that's an achievement that should get a lot of recognition. I don't know if you know you guys are just going to say, oh, maybe now he'll finally get a life. But it, it's been an absolute blast these past 300 episodes. And on one hand, it seems like just yesterday that, you know, I started this venture with doing my own show. But on one hand, it feels like another lifetime because it's uh, it's been a very long, long journey. And this podcast has gone through many changes. Some I think have been for the better. Some, you know, might be questionable. But uh, all in all, I've had an absolute blast doing this podcast and hope to continue for another 300 episodes. So thank you to those who are watching a live on Facebook and uh, for those who will be listening or watching on the download. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me for this really fun occasion. We've got a jam packed show for you guys today. It's the return of what I think might be everyone's favorite segment here on the show, the top five list. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, back in early February, we'll be doing the top fives once a month. And this week, and I think it's very fitting because of what's going on with WandaVision, but this was one that I wish I had done when I was doing the morning show. Top five moments from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this was one of the, if not the toughest list that I've put together personally. And I know a lot of you have said that you know, you went through the same thing, but I'm excited to hear everyone's list and hopefully you guys will enjoy mine. But also I'll be chatting with Mr. Brian O'Halloran, who you might know from the Kevin Smith Viewers universe, specifically as Dante Hicks from Clerks, Clerks 2, Jay and Silent Bob, really, really most, if not all of the Kevin Smith uh, Viewers movies. So I'll be chatting with him a little bit later on in the show. And also uh, at the end of the show, I'll be playing some special audio messages that some of you guys were kind enough to send in. But I wanted to start off uh, with a little bit of a, a personal note. You know, as as cool as it is, you know, reaching 300 episodes of the show that I've put a lot of time into. It was a week ago today that I did something much cooler. At least I think so. Uh, I proposed to my girlfriend and uh, I proposed to my girlfriend, Samantha, uh, one week ago today. And she said, yes. So we are officially engaged. So uh, there you guys go. There's a there's a a, a post engagement photo that uh, that I love. It's it might be my favorite photo of us together. But all in all, it's it's really exciting you know, for to start that uh, chapter uh, in my life with her. These past, you know, eight months or so have been fantastic. It, it's just been, it's been great reconnecting with her because we've known each other for years, but we recently reconnected. Um, and it, it's, it's been amazing. And she's, she's taught me a lot about myself. So it, it's, it's really cool. And I'm excited to start that journey with with her we've got uh eric funden is watching he said it seems like only yesterday and says congratulations thank you funden uh and thank you again to those who are watching uh, here live on facebook let me actually just move this over 
real quick so I can watch the feed. But uh, we'll just dive right in. We're going to dive right into our top five. And uh, I'll go over the rules here in just a second. But uh, as I mentioned, we'll be doing top five moments from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This was one of the toughest lists that I've ever put together. Because there are so many, so many moments that have happened in the MCU that have just been amazing. And it's so tough. This would have been a tough top 10 list, you know, just because you can think of really at least one good moment from well, most of the movies. I mean, some have been uh, misses, but you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and they've had many more hits than misses. And each of those hits has one moment that's pretty good that stands out above them all. So, yeah, it, it, this was really tough, but... Um, I'm going to start how this is going to work for those who have not watched or listened to the top five. I'm going to list my honorable mentions, and then I'm going to go from five to one, list my choices, and a brief explanation why. And for those who left their list uh, on Facebook, on the uh, Derek Diamond Experience page, I'll be reading off your list as well after that. So we're just going gonna, gonna to dive right in here. Honorable mentions, and there were more that I could think of, but these were just the ones that really stood out. Uh, from the original Iron Man, the very end when Tony Stark says, you know the truth? I am Iron Man. Just because it was such a an, an oh crap moment. Like, you know, the one of the big things with heroes is that they keep their identity secret. And he was just going right out there and just admitting that he, he was Iron Man. Um, Avengers Assemble from Endgame, of course, that uh, iconic moment when uh, all the Avengers are lined up and Captain America says the says those lines. You'll be w waiting since the initial Avengers movie to hear that. And you might be surprised that it's just on my honorable mentions, but I'll get to the reason why here in a bit. Um, I put Come and Get Your Love from Guardians of the Galaxy. So leading up to the original Guardians movie. I had read a couple of the comic books, and to be honest, I was not impressed by them. I thought they were pretty terrible, actually. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be you know, Marvel's big miss, because everybody was waiting for it to happen. But from the moment that Peter Quill put on his headphones and started listening to Redbone's Come and Get Your Love, I knew it was going to be in for a, a fun, a fun experience. And I love the Guardians movies. Both of them are up there on my list of favorites. Uh, I put Yondu's Revenge from Guardians 2, basically when he gets his mohawk back and just makes the little needle thing go all through the ship and practically kills everybody. And the music that was set in the background and all the slow motion, cool effects and everything just made that scene really cool. Um, and then finally, uh, I'll just simply say this, Dormammu, I have come to bargain. That sequence with Doctor Strange was was so good. My number 5 is The Avengers Initiative from the from the original Iron Man. This is the post-credit scene that started a trend of getting people to stay in the theater through the credits. And I had had the scene spoiled for me on uh on an IMDb forum that should tell you how long ago that was. But 
I knew that I wanted my friends to still be able to see it and experience that moment. So I told them before the movie started, it's like, hey, we need to stay because there's going to be a cool scene after the credits. They're like, oh, okay. And then movie ends. They're all ready to leave. And I convinced them to stay. And they loved it. You know, that whole, just the line, I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. Just mind blown. Mind blown when that happened. Uh, number four is Hulk versus Thor from Thor Ragnarok. That entire fight between those two was awesome. I think Planet Hulk, if you haven't watched the animated movie, Planet Hulk, definitely check it out. You'll see where Thor Ragnarok got a lot of its influence from that planet. So it was cool seeing an element of the Planet Hulk animated film being brought into the MCU. I, and their dynamic is just so good. Number three from Spider-Man Far From Home, The Return of J. Jonah Jameson. I am a huge Spider-Man fan, grew up watching the animated series on Fox, and a character that always stood out to me was J. Jonah Jameson. When the Tobey Maguire trilogy comes out in theaters, and I see it for the first time and watch J.K. Simmons' portrayal of Jameson, it was literally like the animated character came out of the screen into real life. That's how good he was. And if you notice, in the Andrew Garfield films, they never recast that role. And I'm so happy that they brought him into the MCU. That was, I audibly gasped when that happened. And there have been very, very few moments in film that have made me do that. Let's see, we've got, uh, who all do we have here? We got uh, Jason Robbins is in the house, as well as Jennifer Pugh. Thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, number two is the snap from Infinity War. It was a very sad moment, but even from a technical aspect of it, the little nuances that happened in that scene, as soon as the snap happens, there's no more music. There's no score or anything. It's just silence other than the dust being blown away in the wind. And it just, it's such a rare thing for the villain to win. And to see it happen on that magnitude, the fact that Thanos wanted to essentially commit genocide in a way, and he succeeded. The villain won. And we never, we never really see that in movies. Also, uh, Reagan Bell is in the chat. Thank you for watching. Yeah, the And you could hear a pin drop in that theater after opening night when that happened. When the credits pop up, everyone just got up and just kind of slowly walked out. Not a single sound. But my number one, and I feel like this is probably going to be fairly consistent on everyone's list, it's when Captain America grabs Thor's hammer in Avengers Endgame. And I, one of my biggest regrets in my movie watching time on this earth is that I did not go to see Avengers Endgame opening night. Now, I had good reason because my friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, were doing a show in Panama City. We did go see it the next morning. And when that moment happened, I actually yelled, oh, shit in the theater because I was like, Oh wait, 
He could do that. I forgot. It was just such a cool moment. And I've watched reaction videos on YouTube of theaters when that happened. And it was just incredible. I love moments like that in movies. And even the whole you know, fight sequence after that, when Thor, I say Thor, Captain America brings the thunder down onto Thanos and uses the hammer and hits his shield and creates like the, the giant sound wave. It was it was just so cool and it it reminded me of the Marvel Ultimate Alliance video game that my friends and I played back in our younger days. Uh, let's see. Oh, Reagan says, but better than that snap is Tony Stark's snap when he says, I am Iron Man. So good. That sad ending, but still so good. So we are going to get into everyone else's top five list. And this first one uh, is a good one. This is from uh, my fiance, Samantha. Uh, I am Iron Man. Great moment there. And she also lists a few different moments from different films. So from Captain America, this is why you were chosen, because a strong man who has known power all his life will lose respect for that power. But a weak man knows the value of strength and knows compassion. And then uh, Dr. Erksein, uh, don't do anything stupid until I get back. How can I? You're taking all the stupid with you. The interaction with Peggy and Steve. Peggy, you must have danced. Well, asking a woman to dance always seems so terrifying. And the past few years just didn't seem to matter that much. Figured I'd wait. For what? The right partner. Uh, from Winter Soldier, and I love this line. Before we start, does anyone want to get out? And I'm with you until the end of the line. From Civil War, Steve and Tony fighting. Spider-Man showing up. That, that would be a good honorable mention for me, too. Just his... His debut was so good in the MCU. Uh, so you like cats? An empire toppled by its enemies can rise again, but one that crumbles from within that's dead forever. And uh, language. From Black Panther, Killmonger in the museum. Is this your king? What are those? Bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships because they knew death was better than bondage. You know if they find out he's here, they'll come for him and let them try. Oh, uh, my parents are watching. Yep, Your mom and dad are watching. Congrats on 300 episodes. Thank you guys so much for watching. I love you both. And then from Ragnarok, she says the whole thing. She does love that movie. The play, Thor and Doctor Strange, Hela crushing the hammer, the Grandmaster, excellently played by Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Korg says, piss off ghost. Of course, the classic. He's a friend from work. That's how it feels. Tony and the gypsy. And when Thanos' ship shows up. From Infinity War. I'm sorry, Earth is closed today. Uh, he's from space and he came here to steal a necklace from a wizard. Why? Is, uh, oh yeah, why is Gamora? The whole exchange with, you know, who is Gamora? Who is Gamora? What is Gamora? I'll give you one better. Why is Gamora? Uh, it's so good. Uh, let's see. Get this man a shield. And why was she up there all this time? The uh, Talking about Wanda. I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. Steve taking on Thanos. And, of course, the snap. From Endgame, Avengers Assemble. Captain America using the hammer. Him saying, I can do this all day. 
Of course, that's America's ass. Clint and Nat both trying to die for each other. I love you 3000. We actually have matching I love you 3000 shirts. When Bucky says you're taking all the stupid with you. And of course, the end with Peggy and Steve dancing. If, if that doesn't tug at the heartstrings, I don't know what does. Because to me, that was the perfect ending to that era of, of Marvel. Though I, as pessimistic as I was, and I think it was just from a lack of not knowing, I'm really excited for the direction that Marvel's going so far with WandaVision. Of course, you know, we've got, if you're watching this live, we have the finale later this week. And very, very curious as to what's going to happen with that. Uh, let's see. So getting on to some more list, Tim Spivey. I'm not even trying to keep it to five. These are the moments that were the most memorable to me from the 23 movies. Honorable mentions, Vision lifts Thor's hammer. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name. I meant to look up the pronunciation, but I did not. Uh, well, these are from Age of Ultron. Vision lifting the hammer, Captain America ripping the log in two, and Thanos saying, fine, I'll do it myself. Oh, and also language from Age of Ultron. The Captain America elevator scene from The Winter Soldier. From Ragnarok. Where are you the god of again? I love this line too. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Infinity Wars, The Snap, and Iron Man Snap from Endgame. Uh, number five, Hulk smashing Loki from Avengers. That's, that's up there too. Thor versus Hulk from Ragnarok. He also says, I have been waiting for the MCU's version of Planet Hulk for years. Carlos Longoria has joined the show. Welcome, Carlos. Thank you so much for watching. Number three, Cap catching the hammer from Endgame. Iron Man is saying, I am Iron Man from Iron Man. It's a lot of Iron Man. And Avengers, a symbol from Endgame. Oh, I forgot. Rampage. That's for, that's for Carlos. Those who listen to uh, Nerd Cave Retro, you know what that means. But speaking of Carlos Longoria, his list is next, so your timing was perfect. This was a difficult task, so I had to go with some of the moments that moved me in some way emotionally when I saw them. Number five, Thor gets to talk to his mom one more time from uh, Endgame. Four, Avengers Assemble, also from Endgame. He says we've waited years for those two words. Three, Please Sir, I Don't Want to Go from Spider-Man in Infinity War. Yeah, that, that just makes me sad reading it. And two, both times Tony Stark says, I am Iron Man. He also says, my dad's favorite Marvel character was Iron Man. He passed away in April of 2000, so it gets an automatic boost. That's, that's an awesome reason why. And number one, Cap wielding Thor's hammer from Endgame. And he says, Excelsior for the great Stan Lee. Uh, he says there's too many moments to put down for honorable mentions. Jason Robbins, number five, underoos. Spider-Man shows up in Civil War. Awesome moment. Number four, I don't want to go, Mr. Stark, when Spidey gets snapped. Number three, Avengers assemble. The entire MCU shows up to take on Thanos. Amazing moment. Number two, Tony Stark snaps with the stones. And number one, Captain America proves he is worthy by wielding Thor's hammer. He says he still gets goosebumps. Incredible moment. Christian Jones, number five, we have a Hulk from Avengers. Four, the elevator fight from Captain America Winter Soldier. 
Number three, I am Iron Man from Iron Man. Number two, Nick Fury intro, uh, the Avenger initiative that that I talked about earlier. That what really set the trend for post credit scenes. And number one, from Avengers Endgame, on your left. And Christian Jones has joined. Good time. You guys are just having perfect timing. Dropping in right as I'm about to read your lists. Bill Lyons is up next. Number five, any scene with Robert Downey Jr. It's tough to argue with that. Number four, uh, Cap's hammer time scene. Number three, Dad Bod Thor. I loved Lebowski Thor in Endgame. I know he's going to be back to being ripped if you haven't seen the pictures of him just looking jacked as you know what. Just Google it. It's insane. But I, I thought... I thought Lebowski Thor was hilarious. Number two, I am Iron Man, snap. And number one, Andy Dwyer dancing in the opening credits. Uh, Brandon Rutledge, most of my honorable mentions are from non-phase one since I am not as familiar with those films. Uh, honorable mentions, somebody get that kid a sandwich from the first Avenger. The snap from Infinity War. Spider-Man steals Captain America's shield from Civil War. Star-Lord challenges Ronan to a dance battle from Guardians of the Galaxy. And, and I'm Mary Poppins, y'all, from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And Jane punching Loki from Thor of the Dark World. And almost every laugh-out-loud moment in The Avengers. His top five, number five, Tony Stark and Pepper Potts finally get together from Iron Man 2. Number four, the elevator fight scene from Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Number three, this is a good one too. This drink, I like it. I demand another from Thor and he just throws the glass down. Uh, number two, Tony Stark reveals that he is Iron Man from the original Iron Man. And number one... The uh, This is a tie. Hulk, Hulk smashing Loki, if I can get that out of my mouth, and S.H.I.E.L.D. agent playing Galaga from The Avengers. And our final list from the great Thomas Carter Rochester, number five, Avengers assemble into final battle. Number four, Westview augmentation. Those who have uh, been watching WandaVision, you know which one that is. And I respect that you put that in your list because, and I want to compare it once the show is finished, but I have loved what they've done with WandaVision. And I know it started a little slow, but I enjoy the straight up sitcom episodes. I, I think they were, they were great. And I think they were really well done. Number three, Peter Tingle scene. Two, Captain America wielding the hammer. And number one, this is a cool moment too. Thor arrives on Wakanda. Wakanda. That's a really cool moment too. I just think of Bruce Banner yelling, you guys are screwed now. So, so good. So great. And Carlos says, I think WandaVision is just fun. It is, but like if you really think about WandaVision, and the, the past couple of episodes have really been making me think about this. It's a really sad story, and I don't want to dive into spoilers too much, but you even look at that first episode, the very end of it, the whole thing is really sad, and I've got a feeling that it's not going to end on a very happy note. I hope it does, but it's, uh, let's see, uh, Christian says sitcom episodes are the best. 
And then uh, Eric Funden, I'm thinking superhero-themed wedding in Vegas. I, I like where your head's at. But yeah, WandaVision has just been has been phenomenal. And I, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to do a, a reaction segment. Not like right after I watch the show, but do like a review of it, essentially, on the podcast here in a couple of weeks. So um, I know I want to go back once the show is finished and watch it from beginning to end. So that that'll be that'll be fun to do. Oh yeah, Jason says if Quicksilver isn't Loki by this Friday, then I guess I got to shave. Yeah, so Jason and Wally have a bet that if so Jason thinks that that Quicksilver is Loki. If he is Loki, then Wally has to shave his beard to look like the Hulk Hogan mustache and vice versa if it is not Loki. So, um, yeah, Nerd Cave Retro is going to be fun in, in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, Carlos, tell Jess I said thank you. That was very nice of her to say. But, uh, yeah, that's that, that does it for the top five moments from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Coming up next is a conversation that I actually have to give Jason a shout out for because he helped set this up into my, I guess, aspiring filmmaking career, or at least that side of my life. There was a movie I watched called clerks that really hit home with me in the sense that it's something that could be done because you know, you look at filmmaking now, really anybody can do it with a phone because you have iPhones, Samsung's, they all have great cameras. You can go out and you can make something, but in the 90s, it was considerably more difficult to do. And writer-director Kevin Smith, along with his cast and crew, made a movie by you know, maxing out credit cards, using locations they had access to. And it, it really showed that if you really put your mind to it, that you can make a film if it is what you want to do. So I got to chat with Brian O'Halloran, who played the role of Dante Hicks in Clerks and other installments of the Kevin Smith uh, Viewisk universe. Um, for those who are watching live, I do want to give a heads up. So this interview is actually pre-recorded. We did this interview a few weeks ago, but I wanted to save it for the occasion of the 300th episode. So you guys are going to check out the interview and then we'll come back uh, for closing and uh, some fun audio messages that you guys sent me. So hopefully you guys are enjoying the show so far. He, but here is my conversation with Mr. Brian O'Halloran. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. And joining me this week, you may know him as Dante Hicks from Clerks, as well as several other movies from the Kevin Smith View Universe. Mr. Brian O'Halloran. Brian, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Derek. Thank you for having me on. Congratulations, sir. 300. 300, which most geeks think of that movie. That's about it. But you've made it 300 <laughs> times being on the webs, talking to people with foolishness and all sorts of intrigue. Uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, proud to be part of your 300. No, absolutely no. It's an honor to to have you on the show because Clerks. I'm sure you've heard this story at cons and just from people in general numerous times. But 
the film that you starred in, Clerks, that inspired a generation of filmmakers. You know, what Kevin Smith was able to do, what you guys were able to do to pull that movie off, inspired so many people to want to do the same thing. And I am one of those people. So it's an honor to, to speak with you. Not at all. I mean, uh, you're right. We, we hear this often um, and we understand it. You know, uh, Kevin said, why not? Why can't we make a film? And why do I need to have a big budget and or a studio behind me and other people funding it when we could try to do it ourselves? And, and even now, it's even somewhat easier uh, to make a film. It's harder to get your film seen as much as it is to make it. But I mean, the quality that's, you know, even on a phone these days, um, you know, the new Samsung has like 24P capabilities. And so people can make the films, tell the stories they want to see up on a screen. And so uh, I'm glad that we are a very tiny part of it to be inspiration to, to people to get out there and do their own work. Um, but at the same time, I'm just glad that work still gets done. I know we're we're still kind of in a quasi where do we go from here kind of moment in film uh, with studios putting their entire catalogs on streaming networks as opposed to being in theaters, which personally, I think that's the greatest way of seeing, especially big blockbuster type of movies. But I'm glad that um, filmmakers have been inspired by just a little uh, movie made in Jersey with dick and fart jokes, scrounging up a bunch of money on credit cards and small uh small loans well i think that what that's what makes clerks more impressive because it was made at a time where cell phones weren't really like they are now you know it was no, it seemed, it seemed like bricks yeah and it seemed like you had to go to la if you wanted to make movies but you guys were kind of the precursor to that age of you know hey pretty much anybody if they have a phone they can make a movie and there's so many more platforms now to showcase your work like YouTube, like Vimeo. You can even you know, post full videos on Facebook now. You guys were kind of the precursor to all of that happening because it's more impressive when you look back at when you guys made the film and how you did it with maxing out credit cards and you know taking advantage of using locations that you know Kevin had access to just makes it all the more impressive to me. Well, I mean, we he he's seen movies by Jarmusch, Jim Jarmusch, uh, Linkletter, Richard Lind Linkletter, Spike Lee, uh, you know, Tarantino uh, had done um, Reservoir Dogs, and seeing an independent way of of doing things. I mean, more Linkletter, Jarmusch style. They were more, hey, let's get, you know, friends in my art community and let's do this film kind of feel. Um, and you know, Kevin said it pretty best. He it was like watching a, a garage band of movies. Uh, and he's so in a sense of uh, putting this together and reaching out to the local theater community to hold auditions. Uh, that's how I met Kevin. I was working out of the First Avenue Playhouse in uh, Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. And he held auditions out of the theater that I had done stage work out of. And I had been doing local community stage at that point for about three three years or so in that community and so um it's reaching out to those actors to to pull people in like marilyn gigliotti or um scott schiaffo uh reaching out to lisa spoonauer uh who he saw in a drama class at the local community college um things like that to 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 put together 
and telling a story that he knew and he lived. I mean, he worked at that store while we were filming. He worked at that store. And um, it's nice to see that it still holds up. I mean, the video store rental portion part of the film is a bit dated, but uh, we kind of took care of that in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, showing what happened to the video store. Um, But it's fun. These characters really were relatable to quite a few people. Um, Everybody has a friend somewhat like Jay. Uh, Everybody has a friend who doesn't know where they want to go with their life and kind of complains about it. They're their own Dante and they have their wise cracking. Hey man, life is good. Kind of, you know, uh, Randall in their life. So, um, and same thing with issues with girlfriends or boyfriends with commitment and whatnot, where Veronica and Caitlin worked into the story. So it's good to see that these characters have lived on in the minds of a lot of the fans and uh, new fans spring up every generation. There are now people who my age, who have kids who are in their twenties, who have their kids of their own, who uh, are passing along this film uh, and showing it. And so I'm glad, and you know, we've obviously had episodes since with clerks, the cartoon series clerks Two, guest appearances of these characters in the Jane Silent Bob movies and in the reboot as well. So, uh, and hopefully uh, if we can get it all together this year, uh, we can do a Clerks 3 and uh, maybe uh, close a chapter on the these characters. Who knows? We'll see. Did you ever think years ago that Clerks would have the staying power and made the influence that it has? No. I mean, when we were making it, I was just hoping just to get a VHS copy of what we had done to show to friends like, hey, this was this movie that I made with some guys and these women uh, and some theater folk, you know, back in spring, you know, let's sit down and have some laughs while drinking some beers and stuff. Um, never, never knowing. But I mean, that was the foresight that both Kevin had and Scott Mosier and Dave Klein, who they all met up at Vancouver Film School. They had the wherewithal to know the process of not only making a film, but getting it in front of someone to have them see it and then hopefully want to, you know, distribute it, but also then fund perhaps future films of Kevin's. And uh, so they entered it into the New York feature film market, which is a film festival that doesn't really exist anymore in New York city. And uh, it was the wherewithal of a great man by the name of Bob Hawk, who saw this film uh, in this one screening that we had, which was the last day of the festival, a Sunday at 11 a.m., uh, there was like 20 some odd people in the audience, 12 of which were like us from the film. Uh, but we were fortunate enough that Mr. Bob Hawk saw it, who is uh, a producer's kind of advisor, um, film auteur. He had worked with the Sundance Film Festival, the you know New York Film Festival and a few others at that time and passed it around to the right people. And the right people then reached out to Kevin to say, hey, I'd like to see a copy of this film. Perhaps we can do something with it. It then uh, subsequently went to the 1994 Sundance Film Festival, had four screenings there that were all sold out. Uh, Fortunate enough to have uh, uh, the Miramax representatives of uh, Harvey Weinstein at the time see the film and want to pick it up and perhaps do more. And and then the rest is view askew history. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head why this movie still holds up, because so many people can relate to it because you look at the 
Dante and Randall characters. You know two people like that. You know, I got the the scene that always stands out to me is when you guys are having the discussion about what's better, The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. I can tell you how many, you know, conversations like that I've had with friends over what Star Wars movie is better or, you know, the the independent contractors on the Death Star when it blew up, you know, just everyday conversations like that that you see on film and you're like, huh, that's me. I can relate to that. Right. And I mean, because we we had these types of conversations, you know, being a sci-fi comic book reading, you know, uh, D&D role playing, you know, lover of hockey and stuff like that, different sports. These were the types of conversations that happen that, you know, we we as a nerd nation know these things go on and we appreciate it, but rarely have seen it in films up to that point. I mean, yes, there were some great films uh, that were made that were kind of had that kind of vibe to it. But this was one of, I think, uh, the first ones that Kevin's like, no, we're going to put this conversation in because he was having these conversations and made a valid point about, well, of course, if it's a job that long, it's going to take, you know, independent contractors uh, to get in there, so to speak, in a government contract and all these benefits. I mean, it was a funny, well thought out premise. And then even, you know, he carried it on with his other films. You know, in Mallrats, when Stan Lee shows up in the film and uh, Brody has the conversation with him and the same thing, you know, in, uh, you know, Chasing Amy, there's that same type of conversations that go on with, you know, how come they ain't, they ain't that many brothers in the Star Wars universe and things like that. Um, it's that kind of fun nuances that that i love about kevin's films that yeah man let's let's talk let's let's talk this shit are now are there dick and fart jokes absolutely i mean we're 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 as funny uh and immature male kind of slant on the comedy as as he writes it but at the same time i love it i love every minute of it yeah i was actually watching clerks this morning before we did this interview and uh, the scene when Randall's ordering the new tapes and he's just listing off the, you know, pornographic title after pornographic title. I was like, Oh, I forgot how many of those <laughs> were in this movie. So yeah, it, like you said, it has the, the dick and fart jokes, but it still has that, that unique charm that not very many other films have in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, um, it's definitely a working guys film. Uh, Obviously, I am no marquee leading man type in any sense of the word. Uh, Randall is not your typical best friend kind of, hey, I'll help you out, buddy, kind of movie, buddy movie, um, where I think that's where the charm is. The women are strong women in these films um, who don't take shit. Uh, there's definitely um, this kind of vibe where, yeah, some people enjoy weed and there's the the local weed dealer and you know in certain certain circles if someone needed weed in certain towns that it's not available there is somebody who knows a guy who knows a guy and you know it just turns out kevin decides to put this cat in the film and um and it was fun it was seeing that perspective like these are real real folks you can go down and you know and if you've either 
worked a crappy retail job where you had to deal with crazy customers and stuff like that. And I can imagine with mask mandates and stuff right now, dealing with crazy customers has got to be like 11, like 11 in the sense of stress level sometimes. But you were either working a crappy service job or you've been in an establishment with crappy servers. Um, and it's that kind of thing where I think everybody relates to it. There's convenience stores all over, all over the United States, if not all over the world. You can't drive like 20 miles without even a gas station having its own convenience store. So I think the relatability of it all is is testament to its wide appeal. Absolutely. So to backtrack a little bit, before before this film, did you have acting inspirations for film? Because I, I know you also have done work in theater, right? Yeah. Uh, um, leading up to uh, making the film in 93, I was doing community theater uh, and uh, working and then worked with professional theater groups after that. Um, so, yeah, as an actor, acting for film was one of definitely one of my goals and what I wanted to do. Um, I'm glad that uh, Kevin had chosen me to be a part of this film uh, to portray pretty much, as he said in other interviews himself. Uh, you know, Kevin wrote pretty much Dante as himself and his good friend Brian Johnson, if anybody's fans of uh, Tell Him Steve Dave or the AMC show Comic Book Men. He's the Brian Johnson, the bearded guy who also wrote and directed me in the movie Vulgar. Um, his take on the world was Randall's take on the world. And so it was pretty much, you know, Kevin wrote the things that he most likely says as himself, as Dante, while Randall was the things he would wish he could say to customers, you know, at the store that he really worked at. So um, it's those type of things that I find uh, really, really great is that he took what he knew and put it into this. So... I, and and in far as going on with more acting, it was great because after this film got picked up, Kevin then asked me to be part of Mallrats, then Chasing Amy, then Dogma, uh, and then come back um, for Clark's Two, uh, and then Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, and then the cartoon series was something that, as incredibly short-lived as it was because of the lack of vision that the folks at uh, ABC Disney didn't have to see that this could have been a huge property for them hopefully one day we can get back to it i always joke that we can we can do the go back to doing the animated series when we physically are just okay it's just sad now 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 they just look sad let's put them away but our voices are still legit i think that's what's probably going to be our fallback at some point um we shall see um but uh to get to your original point about acting, yeah, film film was always something that I uh, wanted to do and try. And it's a different animal for an actor. Like when you do theater, that's it. Once you're done with rehearsals, opening night curtain goes up and you take the stage. It's you and the audience. It's you, the audience and your co co-stars on the stage there. There's no stop cut. Let me do that again. I'm so sorry. I forgot. Um, you take a story from beginning to end. You take the characters from beginning to end. You get that immediate feedback from an audience with their laughter or if it's a drama, you know, whether there's tension in the air or, or emotion of crying or whatnot. Uh, as an actor, I love doing live theater and um, I miss doing it. Uh, the beginning of the lockdown last year, me and a couple of my theater friends had done three shows via Zoom where we invited fans to a, a Facebook page called uh, 
quarantine cabaret. And, um, and we did three shows. It was free to the audience who logged onto the uh, Facebook page. We would keep up the recording for about 40, 48 to 72 hours and then take it down as per the author's requests and stuff like that. But that was a fun way to keep that interaction going. Um, but as far as film, film is different. It's usually not shot in logical, linear, sequential order. Sometimes it's location-based, meaning that we have to shoot this first because we only have the location that we need specifically for this amount of time and or certain people's schedules don't fit the timeline of shooting. So um, that keeps you on your toes as an actor because you need to know where in the timeline your character is emotionally, physically, you know, and stuff like that. And you have to remember that when you, if you go back in time or go forward and jump ahead and shoot something that's forward in time. So, but I enjoy it. I enjoy shooting film uh, with every filmmaker I've, I've worked with, especially independent filmmakers. I love that collaborative uh, feel. And that's something that's been a recurring thing that's been talked about on the show too, is especially on indie film, because you spend so many hours together, you almost become like extended family. Yeah, uh, there is. Um, it, it's and it's just like a dysfunctional, uh, you know, family as well. There is drama sometimes. Sometimes there's little side romances going on with crew members and other cast members. Uh, sometimes it's a revolt. Like if things aren't going well enough, there become sometimes interventions and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's it's usually a lot of fun. You show up. You're working with incredibly creative and and, de and dedicated people. Um, trying to pull together and get things done under, especially independent film uh, in limited budgeted, you know, limited budgets, limited kind of resources, limited kind of things. But in the editing sequences together, sometimes you can really, really, really polish some stones into some fine gems. And sometimes you can work on something and no matter how many, how much polish you put onto it, it's, it's not going to live up to what you thought you, you started with. That's why it's a, it's always a crap shoot, but it's fun while making the crap. I like that fun while making the crap, you know, it's, and mm. I can speak this from experience too. For those who want to do film, there's nothing quite like that feeling when you're on a set with everyone, whether you're an actor all the way down to a PA. It's like a family environment. And it's great to be around you know, other creatives who, and if you're the director, if you have a cast and crew who are just as ambitious and just as you know, passionate about the project as you, there's no other greater feeling. No, it's, it's you know, listen, um, there are many different professions in the world, many different jobs that you could be doing that day. Um, but in the end, when you sit back, you're like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm being a part of a film here. I'm, I'm making some magic here. I'm making hopefully something that other people out there will enjoy, will relate to, or I'll make my statement that I want to make as the filmmaker. And I'm, I'm going to be a part of that. And, uh, I could see it myself. It's not something that I can't get a, you know, point of view on it. It's something that'll live on you know, for yourself, for you to share, uh, for other people to, to look upon. It's a, in a weird way, it's, it's documenting, um, a segment of your life. Yeah. There's a part of my life where I did this and, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot of fun. There are hard days and there's hard work and there's a lot of preparation to preparation to, to make something 
good and easy. And 90% of the work that you see in the film happens because of preparation. If you prepare, get things right on the day of shooting, oh my God, it, it makes things that so much easier. Um, I really respect uh, production managers who, who are really good at logistics, who really know the nuances of this is what we need. We need porta potties because we don't have a bathroom for five miles from here, or we need a place to, um, you know, hold, have a holding area for our extras or whatever. Make sure they're warm. Make sure there's plenty of water. Make sure there's plenty of whatever. You know, those little niches and nuances of producing, pretty much, um, is something that you know the past ten or fifteen years now I've been doing more of that. Um, and I respect people who really can do it well. And, uh, you know, to let talent, so to speak, come on to set and not have a worry except their performance or their artistic work that they're putting on this just makes the whole, the whole process that much easier and that much more fun. Absolutely. No, there are quite a few what I call thankless jobs in film, like not the 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 sexy role like the actor or the director you know the, like the, not the known type of thing like there's a full business side to filmmaking that to me doesn't get the recognition that it deserves and like you said production manager to be able to plan out so much with so many moving parts and the things can change at any point in time for whatever reason that might be yep. don't get enough credit that they deserve yeah, I mean, you know, you have people like location managers who have to negotiate locations, you know, not only just like, say, a restaurant to film in a restaurant scene, but also then to negotiate, hey, I need this much of the parking lot for my camera truck, my, you know, catering, I have to put up a big party tent to have all these tables for food. I mean, there's those type of things. And then also just the perimeter of security, the guys that are standing at the end of the street holding traffic while you can get a shot done while people are like, Hey man, I got to get to work. And they're like, we're filming some, sorry. So you're going to need to have to go around or you're going to have to wait. You know, what are they, what is this Tom Cruise? Who's down there? And then you find that there's no one that they know that's in the film. Like, come on, you know, or always the fun question of when someone's shooting something, you know, inside of someplace. I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? A porno or something? You know, you get all sorts of knuckleheads that try to, you know, squash the game but there are folks that you know are out there doing this there's costume designers who are you know on the fly repairing costumes if they have to if they don't fit right or if they have a large scene with tons of extras making sure everybody fits whatever the scene calls for and makeup artists and sound designers and then there's the grips the guys that literally do the heavy lifting of lighting c-stands and you know the guys that are bringing the cable from the jenny from the generator over and you know these are are incredible things that's why uh when i petition to local legislatures about you know uh upping um state tax credits for filming in your state it's because the money isn't going to the ben afflicks of the world or the Jim Carrey's or what have you, it's going, the tax credit is going to pay for the hotel bill that we're going to stay in your town and take up 20 to 30 rooms with people who then also need to eat in your local restaurant, drink in your local bars a lot, uh, use the wood from your local carpentry or Home Depot store. So it employs, and then that money trickles out to communities all the time. So it's not, 
hey, they're getting a, these Hollywood types are getting tax credits that they're pocketing. No, it's actually helping so we can hire more people locally. You know, we don't fly in carpenters all the time. We may high in fly in set designers because they have the plans and they have certain people that they want in key positions. But for the most part, you're getting hired for drivers, local drivers to drive, you know, cast and crew from the hotel to set and locations and, and you know, and different things like that. And you're hiring local caterers. You're hiring local makeup artists for the most part for, you know, extras especially. And you're hiring, you know, tons of people to do things from communities. And uh, that's the thing that I think some people don't see what the film industry does to local community, especially independent films. Independent films are pretty much filmmakers from the local area hiring from the local area. Nope. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, so as we start to wrap up here, uh, there is one independent film that I have to ask you about. That Because two of my good friends wrote this film, Monsters Anonymous. You played the role of Dracula. How was it making that film? Uh, Monsters Anonymous was a lot of fun. Uh, first of all, um, it was approached to me by a, a good friend who I've worked with before, Jeremy London. Uh, as you know, from Table of Five, uh, Party Five, and Mallrats, and tons of other uh, films and television shows. Um, he had reached out to me, as a matter of fact, uh, just before Pensacon, a couple of months prior to Pensacon in Pensacola, Florida, uh, a few years ago. And I gave him my yes, I will do it uh, answer at Pensacon that he was at there as well. And he was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Um, and uh when they got when they raised the money to get it done and I, I flew down there uh, to the Mississippi area uh, to film, um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, now, I, I go back to Dracula because I've done three productions of the stage play of Dracula, where I played Renfield, uh, the real estate agent that eventually falls under the spell of Dracula and, and helps him, assists him and uh, transportation and finding of the victims and whatnot. And so um, I've always enjoyed the mythology of vampires and, and Dracula. As a matter of fact, I have like four or five different vampire Dracula based artwork around my, um, my uh, family, you know, the rec room down here. And, um, and I, uh, I really liked the, his take on these, classic universal monsters being part of a therapy group uh, because people in today's world don't find these monsters not uh, scary anymore with zombie movies and, you know, movies like Saw and Hostel and stuff like that. Um, so it was an incredibly funny premise. Uh, he brought on some really great uh, fun writers on board and incredible local talent. Uh, these were uh, people who uh, attended Jeremy's uh, acting school and acting classes there in Mississippi at the time. Uh, some really fun uh, people. Uh, they brought he brought in his brother uh, uh, to uh, to be an assistant director, uh, and then he started to cast uh, some really fun things. Some fun people involved in it brought in some really great. Um, makeup artists for the special effects um, and just uh, great actors. Like, you know, yes, they were part of his class, but they, they had raw, raw talent and really great, great presence. And so um, 
It was a, a weekend of fun. It took about a weekend to shoot the film. Uh, it had toured uh, some film festivals around the country. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I know there was talk about doing a sequel to it at some point. So uh, maybe if we can get it all together again and uh, do a sequel to it, it'd be kind of fun or a spinoff of some sort. Even when I first read it the first time, I said, wow, this could be a hilarious like six episode YouTube series that, you know, even if we shot three episodes in one five day stretch, you know, and added to this and then just do six episodes a year where we take a week, get all together for a week, shoot the six, you know, episodes of a half an hour, 20 minutes to a half an hour long each. Um, I think it'd be something the fans would enjoy. So uh, if that is to happen, I would be on board with it again and uh, would love to work with both Jeremy and Jason and Wally and, and everybody uh, who was a part of the, the original um, production. Yeah. Jason and Wally are very proud of that movie and rightfully so, because it's hilarious. It, it looks, it, it looks great. Is the, like you said, the acting from top to bottom was very good it's it's a really really good short film and it, it's on amazon prime you know for those who might be watching or listening that haven't seen it definitely check it out on amazon prime it's a lot of fun but um what's one piece of advice that you could give uh, to someone who wants to work in the film industry uh depending on being wanting to be in front of the camera or behind the camera if you want to be in front of the camera uh, definitely take uh, acting lessons, definitely be a part of a theater company, uh, whether it's a local community theater that that trains you to uh, free yourself, um, to uh, learn technique, to learn how to take an character and build the arc of a character from beginning to end, especially Uh Theater is another incredibly collaborative event. And if you can do that in front of a live audience, acting in front of a camera should be no problem at that point because you don't have to worry about the people right in front of you judging you, so to speak. Um, as far as then jumping behind the camera, um, if you're a writer, write every day if you can, even just small things. Uh, you know, lend yourself to be part of a, uh, a writer's workshop uh, where they get together once a week, once a month uh, to help each other, to have, uh, you know, staged readings of your work too. If you've come up with a script, don't know, is it good or not? Go to a local theater troupe yet again and say, hey, I'd like to have a, a, a table read or a stage read. Can you bring in some actors? I'll buy us a bunch of pizza or I'll buy us whatever subs or whatever. And we can just spend an hour and a half just going over it and see what you guys think. And you take notes, be able to take notes as a writer uh, from your work. Um, when it comes to directing, uh, directing's the same thing. Learn, take some acting lessons, learn what it is to direct people to, as an actor, know what you want to hear from a director, a director, you know, an actor doesn't want to hear, you know, do it like this. That's called a line read. And you don't want to do that. You want to, as a director, ask the questions that makes the, the actor think about the choice that you want them to get to. You know, if I want someone to cry as a, you know, as a director and be like, have you had loss in your life? Have you been in that point where you've had loss and it was so unfortunate? You know, you, you tell them, you ask them questions to make them find their own choices. The more that an actor finds their 
their own choices, the more genuine the performance will be as opposed to just say, Hey, I need you to cry here. Or, Hey, you know, you got to kind of pull it out of them by setting up a scenario to make them think that, you know, that type of thing. Uh, and then as a producer, um, make sure you have really good catering. Uh, I can't stress enough how don't chintz out on the budget when it comes to catering, because if you're going to ask, especially in independent films, if you're going to ask for cast and crew to stay and film 12, 16 hours, uh, when it comes to lunch times or dinner breaks or what have you, if they have a good meal to sit down to, uh, to get re-energized and charged up, they'll go that extra mile for you. But if you're just doing the pizza or sub route, you're, you're going to be like, really, I'm doing this for pizza? You know, um, I would suggest that. Uh, the best way to do that is to find either local restaurants who can donate their services or at least at a heavily discounted price for some reason, or get local moms or dads who cook in the community and find six or seven of them that you could say, hey, can you make three pans of ziti or whatever? And then the next parent, hey, can you make chili? Or hey, you know, things that eventually, uh, if you divide it up, no one feels overwhelmed that, oh my God, every day I got to make this amount of food. Um, you know, and I'm talking about trying to do things for free. So um, that's just another way of getting around it. But uh, you'd be surprised um, uh, if you just ask, you know, hey, do you mind? What's the worst thing they're going to say? No, no, I, I can't do that for you. But you won't know unless you ask. It's a simple thing that's said by every industry out there. But uh, you don't, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That old cliche. Um, so take the shot, ask, you'd be surprised how people are like, Oh, I could be part of a film. Yeah, totally. I'll, I'll donate 10 pizzas or I'll donate, you know, chicken franchise or whatever. Oh, but also remember there are vegetarians and vegans everywhere. Um, so make sure there's always at least one healthy choice for, for those secret ones that maybe not even want to tell you that they're vegetarians for some reason. Uh, make sure you always have a healthy choice as well. It, uh, balance out the catering. I know, uh, I know, tons of people out there who are probably watching going like yeah man right on <laughs> i'll have to remember that about the the local mom and pop cooking idea that's good I like it that. is it's you know if you know someone's like oh dude so-and-so's mom is awesome and if you say look we will totally buy all the ingredients do you mind you know setting up a time where you can we need dinner around six o'clock that night you know and we'll send someone over to pick it up. But do you mind making trays of something? Yada yada, and uh, it's a great way to to spread out the pain, so to speak, because not one person is having to do it all the time. Unless you budget for a specific, hey, we need to budget this amount of money every day, and find two or three restaurants who will cater for you, so that once again you spread it out. Like, oh, we're going to get the local Chinese food place to do one night of Chinese. We're going to get the local burger joint to do as a whole bunch of burgers. We're going to get a, a local Italian place to do the low. If you can do that, that'd be great, you know, and tell them like, Hey, we're going to have the local press paper come in and do a story about this. And we're totally going to mention about how you guys are pitching in and helping out the community. So it'll be advertising for you. There's a lot of these type of things. I mean, in any more advice, I got to have to start charging you, but uh, it's that <laughs> kind of thing that, um, you know, you need to do. Absolutely. And finally, do you have a website or social media that you'd like to plug so the viewers and listeners can follow you? 
Sure. So, uh, from, so if you want to follow me on social media, these are the uh, addresses there. Facebook, Brian C. O'Halloran. YouTube, see the O'Halloran. And Twitch, Brian C. O'Halloran. I do have uh, a podcast of my own, The O'Halloran. You can find that on Facebook slash The O'Halloran. YouTube, The O'Halloran and Twitch TV. Brian C. O'Halloran. Twitter, you can follow on The O'Halloran and Instagram, The O'Halloran as well. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. This was fantastic. Thank you, Derek. I'm glad once again to have been part of your 300. Derek! That was my version of Sparta for some reason. So there you go, Derek. Uh, I'm glad I've had the experience with you. I hope the fans enjoyed uh, this segment. I know you have a lot more segments in this spectacular show you have going on here. Uh, I'm glad to have been a small part of it. Thank you so much to Brian O'Halloran for that awesome conversation. Uh, So much knowledge was dropped from him just about all aspects of the film industry. He's someone that if you're a filmmaker, you want to pick his brain and you even want to have him on your set. One of my personal favorite interviews that I've ever done. But uh, moving on real quick, before we get into the audio messages, I did uh, miss a top five list. So we're going to go back and do that real quick. And this is going to be from former guest of the show, Mr. Jonathan McIntosh. Pull up his list here. All right. So his top five, number five, uh, Captain America picking up Thor's hammer. Number four, Spider-Man's MCU debut in Civil War. Number three, from the original Avengers film, The Hulk smashing Loki. Number two, Captain America rescuing the Howling Commandos. And number one, Fury's cameo at the end of Iron Man. I love the, there's a lot of consistencies with the Marvel list, but there are some some good differences. I I dig it. But back to what I was saying about uh, Brian O'Halloran. Yeah, I, I touched on it in our conversation, but I think had I not watched Clerks, and learn the backstory behind it, I would not be a filmmaker. Like, I I think I would have just done something completely different had I not known that. So, Clerks is a a very important film to me. And Kevin Smith's story and how he's, you know, risen to where he is now with film and with podcasts and everything, he's just such an inspiration to me. But coming up next... Is uh, So a lot of you guys were kind enough to send in some audio messages uh, talking about your uh, time here on the show, some of your favorite moments. So let's hear from you guys now. Here are some special audio messages from some former Derek Diamond Experience guests. I just want to congratulate Derek on the 300th show of the Derek Diamond Experience. Derek was a great support to me when my first movie, Up on the Glass, was out in the world. It was fun chatting with him about character and story and community building, all things we both care about. After the show, Derek mentioned that his purpose of his podcast is to learn more himself, create a space for others to do the same, and to support creatives. That's evident to all who listen in. His reciprocal mindset makes his show so compelling. Congrats again, Derek. Thanks so much for everything, and cheers to 300 more shows. Hello, Mr. Derek Diamond. It's your Nerd Cave Retro co-host, Jason, here. 
I just want to give you a humongous congratulations for making 300 episodes. It's crazy. You've been podcasting for like 80 years now. <laughs> just kidding. But uh, but yeah, congratulations. Everything's coming up Millhouse for you lately, and I couldn't be happier. So uh, here's to 300 more. Cheers. Hello, it's Wally, the real big wall, and I am just leaving you a message to tell you how excited and amazed I am at 300 episodes of the Derek Diamond experience. I laughed, I cried, I wondered why I can't have a successful podcast with over 300 episodes, aside from the fact that I'm not as interesting or as well-spoken as you are. Well... Congratulations again, sir. May the force be with you and live long and smoke meats. Hey, this is writer-director Maceo Greenberg from Take Me to Tarzana. Congrats on hitting 300, Derek. That's an awesome milestone. You should be really proud of yourself, and we are proud to have been a part of your journey so far. Can't wait to hear what you do next. Uh, best wishes on the next 300 and more and more and more. Hey, Derek, Burke Floyd here. Wanted to say congratulations on 300 episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience. 300 episodes, man. What a milestone. Here's the 300 and 3,000 more. I know when I want to keep up with uh, what's going on in the world, I always tune in. And anytime I've got anything I want to share with everybody, I love coming on your show. Thanks for having me. And again, congratulations. Also, here's a little Easter egg for you. On the half shell, they're the heroes for in this day and age, who could ask for more? The crime wave is hot with muggings, mysterious. All detectives and police are furious because they can't find the source of this legally evil force. Pizza's the food that's sure to please. These ninjas just love pepperoni and cheese. Leonardo Michelangelo and Donatello make up the team with one other fellow, Raphael. He's the leader of the group transformed from the norm by the nuclear goop. Congratulations, Derek. This is Thomas Carter Rochester, and I just wanted to say congratulations to the Derek Diamond Experience for turning 300 episodes old. Um, as we all now know, the Derek Diamond Experience will be referred to as Sparta. <laughs> um, I just wanted to thank you for all the times you've had me on talking about The Mandalorian. As we both know, Star Wars is in my lifeblood. Um, and Power Rangers, which, you know, like the two very big things that uh, I think we connected on right away in our Kevin Smith. Um, your show is amazing. I love listening to every guest every week. I love <laughs> I, I love the live versions that you do at Pentacon. Um 100% love your podcast, man, and your show, and I'm so proud of you, and I can't wait to see, you know, what you, what else you got cooking up in that beautiful brain of yours, brother. Uh, all love, man. Yo, Derek. Hey, congratulations on 300 episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience. You need to get a life. No, in, seri in all seriousness, again, congratulations. I've just been loving listening to it. From the early days of the podcast, you know, everything from the roundtables to the top five lists, it's just always been so much fun to listen to this podcast. I mean, some of my favorite moments, I love the haters roundtable, especially because just hearing our friend Josh Gay just go epic on whatever he was ranting about. And of course, my personal overall favorite being Defending Bad Movies to The Revenge. Not only because I was a part of that, but it was just such a fun experience to be a part of. And I can listen back to it at any time. Uh, again, Derek, congratulations. 300 episodes, and I look forward to another 300 episodes of the Derek Diamond Experience. Hey, Derek. This is Stephen Wise. I want to congratulate you on hitting the 300th 
episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I know that's a huge undertaking that you've had over the last several years and it's a great milestone so congratulations again Uh, i've been fortunate enough to be your guest multiple times in various capacities you've had me on uh, talking about pensacon talking about my own work talking about short films talking about film festivals talking about movies that we love Uh, i've had the the good fortune of being on your retrospective for star wars and back to the future and really enjoyed that uh look forward to doing some more with you and going on your journey with another 300 so good luck for the future and again congratulations fantastic words from you guys thank you again so much hearing stories like that just it reaffirms me doing this podcast and i don't really talk about you know the work that i do behind the scenes to make this happen but for those of you who do podcasts that are listening you know that it's not always easy. And at times it can feel very much like a second job. Like I did a lot of work getting you know, this the show ready because there are a lot of podcasts that don't make it to 300 episodes. If you do a, a search on Apple Podcasts, you'll see so many shows that don't make it past five. And uh, when I started podcasting, and this is me getting on my soapbox here, but when I started podcasting back in 2013, when we started the Nerd Cave podcast, I had said that I want to do it, but if we do it, we're going we're gonna to do it right. And I had that same mentality when starting my show. And on one hand, it doesn't feel like 300 episodes, but I do it because I love learning about film. You know, I... I I've said before, the reason why I initially switched the format from variety to strictly film was for me to learn myself because I didn't go to film school. So I thought, why not use this podcast as an outlet to learn that? And through that, you know, I've I've had people tell me that they learned some things from your previous episodes of the show. So it it's really cool to know that, you know, in a way doing this is is worth it. You know, I'm getting something out of it. The audience is getting something out of it. And I've enjoyed you you guys being along with me for the ride. And I hope we do 300 more shows. I think, I hope we do 3000 more shows. It's going to be crazy celebrating a thousand episodes of really anything, much less a podcast that, you know, I didn't know in the beginning how long the show would go. And here we are. We're at 300 episodes. But um, so Carlos asked an interesting question. He asked, when will the Parker syndrome or will the Parker syndrome be available at any point soon? So I'm waiting on one more submission for a film festival that I should know by the end of the month. Once that is done, the Parker syndrome's festival run will be completed and I'll be looking to release it on uh, Amazon Prime. So hopefully that'll be out uh, later this year. I'm not sure what the logistics are as far as making that happen, but it is something that I'm looking into. And as far as other film projects, um, I've been working on a script off and on uh, really since the Parker syndrome was, was made. But I know it's also been, you know, we made, we shot the Parker syndrome over two years ago now, which is crazy to think about. And I, I'm ready to make something else again. So I've been working on a script 
and uh, hope to shoot it, you know, at some point during the summer, depending on what happens with baseball and how I can balance things out there. Or I might be doing it, you know, later this fall. It's one that I'm, I've done it so I have a better understanding of what to do, but I still want to do it the right way and make sure everything is prepped and planned the right way. So Jason says, I need to release the three hour director's cut. I don't even know if we filmed three hours worth of footage, much less for me to, to release a director's cut. But I, I do like, I do like that idea. That would actually be really funny. Just, I don't know how I would fill two hours and 45 minutes, but I'm sure I'll figure something out. But in closing, I, I wanted to do something a little different. And you can see in the corner of my screen. So I, I've had these two bottles of, uh, of the bubbly, as Chris Jericho would say. I've, I've had two bottles of this since the end of 2018 or whenever they went on sale. And I've been saving them for special occasions. And I thought 300 episodes would be the perfect one to do that. So that scared me. <laughs> Here's the 300 episodes. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. That's actually pretty good. If you want to subscribe to the show, I'm on Apple Podcast. Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your fine podcast for free. And if you would, please leave a review. Uh, the more uh, reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public. You can follow my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, on social media at Unicorn Wranglers. They provide the theme music for the podcast and have done so for the majority of this show's run. I know I used some generic music in the beginning, but for the most part, I've used their music. I like their music. I like their sound. They're good friends of mine. So uh, definitely go give them some love on social media. You can find their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And also, uh, I forgot to mention for next week's show, a really special interview that I did with a filmmaker named Thomas Keith. Uh, he and I talked about his latest documentary called Bullied, and it's one of the most powerful documentaries that I've ever seen in my life. And to give you a tease, it made me so uncomfortable that I had to watch it in phases. Like there were times that I could not physically sit through it. So there's your, your tease for next week's show. And I'll also be discussing the, um, the Superman reboot that's been talked about, uh, specifically on The Hollywood Reporter uh, with J.J. Abrams attached to produce. So I'll be talking about those two things. You can also follow me on Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast if you want to give some love there. I will be making some tweaks to the Patreon uh, within the next week or so, so be on the lookout for that. That's going to do it for episode 300 of the Derek Diamond Experience. And again, thank you guys so much. I'm very humbled by your support, your feedback, and just following me on this crazy journey of podcasting and we'll see you guys next week for another exciting episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. <laughs>